be many will you garner any of the gathering at the harvest home. Amen. Good morning. Good morning. Let the church say amen again. Amen. All right. I believe y'all are alive and awake. And so is the Lord. And we're grateful to be able to worship together this morning at... Uh, at the Enterprise Boulevard. Last week, I, I think I mentioned that y'all were in Baton Rouge. Y'all remember that? I went back and listened to myself last week. That helps every once in a while. And I said, well, I told everybody I was in Baton, we were in Baton Rouge instead of Lake Charles. When I travel so much and go so many places, a lot, half the time I don't know where I am. So y'all, please forgive me if uh, I hope you have uh, for not mentioning the right place that I was in last Sunday morning. Well, it has been truly a blessing for me to be with you guys over the last five Sundays, uh, including this Sunday. Uh, I've been associated as a partner with you in World Missions uh, for about three years now, and I appreciate so very much the elders' decision to add us to your missionary budget, and you have been consistently uh, 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 generous in your contributions to us monthly, and we appreciate that so very, very much. And that's been especially important this year because, number one, your investment has really paid off. This has been the largest number of baptisms in Guanajuato, Mexico, in several years, just in the last 11 months. And uh, we, are, we have a, a church that will become self-supporting uh, this month. And uh, well, the month of December, and then we will be adding a new missionary, planning a new church in a new city of about a hundred thousand people in January. So we're accelerating the work, but I've not been able to travel because of COVID, and so I've not been able to raise as much money as is needed. And so your contributions have come in this year, especially uh, to meet a great need, and we appreciate it so very much at the Lake Harbor Drive Church. In Ridgeland. So on behalf of our elders, thank you, church. Uh, I'm here this morning uh, to uh, fill in the pulpit, and with you're not having a, a local preacher at this time, but we'll be praying that God will send you a, a, a wonderful servant that will come here and spend many years with you, as I have done at Lake Rid uh, at, at, at Ridgeland. It, uh, I, I, the you know, the longer a preacher stays at a place, the more effective he is. And uh, after about 10 or 15 years, there's no skeletons in the closet. And, and if you have a marriage with a preacher like that, then it is a tremendous blessing. And I've been able to remain at the Lake Harbor Drive Church even after I retired as their preacher. And that has really been a very, very special blessing to me. Well, as your missionary, you would expect in the time that I would spend with you, I might bring a sermon on mission work. And that's exactly what I want to do this morning. So if you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Mark, where we read just a moment ago, uh, the Great Commission according to Mark. By the way, I hope that you can be present tomorrow at 11 o'clock for Sister Leora White's uh, 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 celebration of her life. Uh, I've known Leora for, I guess, over 30 years. I first met her in Greenville, Mississippi with Eric. He was about nine years old. She was a widow. 
a homemaker and homeschooling Eric, and he needed a father figure, and so I stepped in there as the preacher there and, and tried to help her out a little bit, and, and uh, he went to camp with us and all of our youth activities, and so Eric is an outstanding young man, understand, a faithful church member at the Beaumont Church, Beaumont, Texas. So if you can come tomorrow and uh, to be a part of that uh, encouragement to Eric and to the family, I know it would mean a lot to him. So I invite you to come and do that. I think it's God's providence that I happen to be your interim preacher during this particular time when she had her unfortunate heart attack and then complications with surgery and then, from the, and then for, have the opportunity tomorrow uh, to give the eulogy at her service. A dear Christian friend that's gone on to be with the Lord. You know, a person's last words are very, very significant, very, very important. And if you've ever been at the side of a loved one who was facing a terminal situation, uh, I, I'm sure you understand how critical that is. I mean, you probably, when they began to speak, you would bend your ear toward their, uh, toward their mouth. You would listen very carefully. Uh, uh, every word, every wish, every want. And if there was a request of you, I'm confident that you would that you did everything that you could do uh, to fulfill their wishes and their wants and their requests. Jesus had some last words. If you go to the book of Matthew and Mark and Luke and John and you go to the end and you look at the cross and you look at the final six hours of Jesus, there were about seven different things that Jesus said. Things like, I thirst. Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is interpreted, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Woman, behold thy son, behold thy mother. Into thy hands I commend my spirit. It is finished. What beautiful, meaningful last words of Jesus before he died. But those were not Jesus' final words, were they? On Sunday morning, Jesus arose from the dead and he spent about 40 days uh, in his post-resurrection uh, appearing a number of times and in his final appearance with his 11 apostles, he gave what we have called the marching orders of the church. These are Jesus' final words. His last words according to Mark. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be condemned. I've tried to analyze that passage. I've tried to unpack it. I've looked at the original language. I've looked at every phrase, every verb, every noun, every participle, every part of speech in that commission. And what I've discovered in my study of it, in my uh, limited ability, that there are several mandates 
that are given in this great commission according to Mark. And I want us to look at those mandates this morning. Now when I say mandate, I mean an official order to carry out a certain course of action. Now what gives those mandates power is what Jesus said according to Matthew's account of the Great Commission when he said, All authority has been given unto me, both in heaven and on earth. Go ye therefore and teach all the nations. And so the resurrected Lord, about to ascend to heaven, has been given all authority. He's been given the right and the force of absolute power and authority in heaven and on earth. And it is that resurrected Lord, that authoritative Lord, that has given us the mandates of this great commission. Let's look at them together. First of all, he man, the mandated performance. Go. Now that word go sounds like an action verb. In reality, it's not. It's a participle. It is actually a plural verb form in the past tense. And a better translation is having gone. And so when you have a participle, linked together within the same context immediately with an action verb, and I'll mention that action verb in just a moment, that is in the imperative mood, then the participle carries the same force of the leading verb. And so there is a sense of necessity here. There is a, a great urgency involved when he says, go. Having gone. And so Jesus is calling for a passion for missions in this mandate. Amen. It's what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9 and verse 16. Necessity is laid upon me. Amen. Woe unto me if I preach not the gospel of Christ. I do not preach this sermon this morning to a church that is complacent about evangelism. I thank the Lord for the Enterprise Boulevard Church in Lake Charles. And if you're listening online this morning, you need to understand this. You need to know this. This is a missionary church. This is a church that cares about the souls locally in Lake Charles cares about the souls of the state of Louisiana and throughout the world. And I don't say that this morning to be flattery about this church or to try to undergird the financial support that they give me and our work in Mexico. I say that because that is true. I thank you for your mandated, for Jesus' mandated performance that you are accomplishing together as a congregation. Today's Satan's kingdom of darkness is growing faster than the Savior's spiritual kingdom of light. And the reason for that is in many cases is because churches are not going. They've lost their sense of obligation. 
But the mandated performance is go. And we don't have any choice about that. That's not a suggestion. That's not an opinion. That's not an option. And I thank you, church, in this Thanksgiving season for responding positively to that mandated performance. And then there's the mandated people. He says, go ye. Go ye. In the immediate context, the people that are addressed, you go back to verse 14, is the 11 disciples, the 11 apostles. You know, Judas is gone and he's, he's uh, committed suicide. So there, there's, there's 11 apostles. And Jesus is appearing with these 11 apostles. But when Jesus says, go ye, he's not addressing just these apostles. And I know that because when you go to Matthew's account of the Great Commission, Jesus says that we're to teach all people that have been baptized into Christ all of the commandments of the Lord. And he says, and lo, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. So this this mandated people is not just the apostles, it's not just preachers, it's not just missionaries. This is the marching orders of the church of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that encompasses every one of us as Christians. When I think about these mandated, the mandated people, it struck me that this part of the Great Commission is both, has both completeness and incompleteness. Jesus came down from heaven to complete a sacrificial commission, did he not? In John chapter 17 and verse 4, in that great high priestly prayer of Jesus on the night before he died, he said, I glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And you remember one of those last words of Jesus on the cross, according to John 19, verse 10, was, It is finished. Amen. So in the first coming of Christ, He was obedient to carry out the greatest commission in all of human history. But Christ also set into motion another great commission for His church. And that's to be carried out until His second coming. And so Jesus didn't just end something great, he began something great. And what Jesus started when he commissioned his apostles, he intends God's saved people in every generation to continue. And so go ye means go me. It means go you. The mandated performance, the mandated people, and then where, what is the mandated place? Go into all the world. Jesus mandated the, that the Great Commission is to go to every place throughout the entire planet Earth. No, no isolated town, no obscure village on this planet is to be ignored or to be bypassed or to be overlooked. 
The mandated place for the Great Commission is both local and global. And we understand that because in the last account of the Great Commission in Acts chapter 1, Jesus said to his apostles and to the church in Jerusalem, you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem, that's where Christianity started, in Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. Jesus put it this, uh, this way in Mark's, Matthew's account. He says, it is to be preached to all nations. In Luke's account of the Great Commission, he said, thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. So the Great Commission must be taken to every city, to every country, to every continent. And too many Christians and too many churches are currently involved in too many other things. Now I believe in exciting and uplifting worship services. How about you? Amen. Amen. And that's important. And, and I think it's important to have a great youth program. And you've got a, a great youth teacher in this church. And I appreciate him. So BJ, is that his name? BJ? Great guy. I just love his enthusiasm and the way he led in worship this morning. And, and you've got a great senior group in this church. And, and you've done a lot of disaster relief throughout Lake Charles, and you continue to do that. Benevolence is so important and, and critical in, in, in outreach for a congregation. And on and on we could go about those things. But brethren, the main mission of the church is universal is to take the gospel to every single place. Now, we have two choices about that. First, we can go personally. And I suspect that in the lifetime of this congregation, some members of this congregation have gone personally. And you have supported them. And I'm confident there will be others that will go on short-term missions and long-term missions. And, and I think this is why I support Christian universities and Christian uh, colleges and, and preacher schools because we have so many young people that want to go on a week or two weeks or a month long uh, uh, mission work somewhere in a foreign country. We supported a young woman a few uh, years ago to go just on a short mission trip. And then she decided to go and spend two years. And then she married a missionary and now she wants to spend her lifetime. <laughs> And so maybe there's someone in pew this morning, a young person that will eventually become a, a person who will come to you as, as a church and says, I, I, I want to go uh, to South America. I want to go to Europe or I want to go to China. I want to go to Mexico. And you will help them and you will support them. But not most everybody won't go personally. But we can sin, amen. We can be a sending church and that's what the Enterprise Boulevard Church is. It's a sending, it's a missionary sending church. The Bible says, Whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. But how shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe on him in whom they've not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? And so thank you, church for being a sending church. 
Do you know what is the fastest growing religion in the world today? Does anybody know? Islam. Islam. The Muslims are projected in the next 20 years to outnumber Christians throughout the world who claim to be Christians. And then, of course, Satan's kingdom is growing even faster, right? In America, the largest religious group that's growing is the nuns, non-attenders, non-church members. Our society in America is becoming more secular every single day, and we understand that. We know that. What about the world? We need to be reaching out overseas in our mission and doing that as urgently as we possibly can. Do you know that there are 7.8 billion people in this world? 7.8 billion people. It took years and years for us to even have one billion people on this planet. Someone projected two million years. It's only taken 200 years to go from one billion to 7.8 billion. So when you take into account secularism, Atheism, the birth rate, and what about the death rate? People are dying about like this. Two people every second. We've had a lot of people to die of COVID. A lot more people have died this year in, by suicide than by COVID. But throughout the world, when you consider the birth rate, when you consider the death rate, when you consider the growth of Satan's army and his forces and other religions in this world, the mandated place becomes so, so very important. And then there's the mandated proclamation. Of course, that's at the heart of this commission. Go preach the gospel to every creature throughout the world. Now we've come to that action verb, that leading verb. To herald, to proclaim, that's the controlling verb. It's in a present imperative tense. It means it is to be continuous without ceasing. The gospel is what? Good news, amen? amen. Too good to keep among ourselves, we must share it, regardless of people's age, race, gender, ethnicity, whatever the situation, we must preach the gospel. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which ye have received and wherein ye stand, by which also 
I've delivered unto you unless you have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was raised from the dead according to the Scriptures. That is the essence of the Gospel. Paul said in Romans 1, I'm a debtor. I'm obligated both to the Greeks and the barbarians, both to the wise and the unwise. For as much as in me is, I'm ready, I'm anxious, I'm willing to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is revealed the righteousness of God from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Great theme of the Bible, isn't it? It's what we are to proclaim to a lost and dying world. And so we are to take that mandated proclamation and share it with others. And the early church did that. After Jesus' ascension, ten days later, the Holy Spirit fell upon the apostles in the city of Jerusalem. The church began... And then that Jerusalem church came under heavy persecution. And according to Acts chapter 8, they were scattered and they went everywhere preaching the word. And then there was a great missionary church established at Antioch. And then they sent out Paul and Barnabas and Silas and other missionaries. And Peter went out as well. And they continued to spread the gospel all over the Roman Empire. And when Paul wrote the Colossian letter sometimes later, uh, he said that it had gone in all the world and was bearing fruit and was growing. Amen. That first century church of Christ that we read about in the Bible, they were a missionary church. They, they proclaimed the gospel of Christ locally in Jerusalem and globally throughout the Roman Empire. And we must be devoted to proclaiming the gospel everywhere, to everyone, every day, and in every way. And then there's the mandated plan. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. I want you to think about that word salvation, that concept, that biblical process of salvation for just a moment. You see, we're... We're living in a world that's lost in sin. And God has brought salvation into this world. And salvation needs to be understood from the standpoint of a past experience. Are you with me now? A present reality and a future hope. There are three phases of salvation that need to be understood and you need to keep those separate. And there are two major parts to that salvation, whether it's past experience or present reality or future hope. And the most important part, the most critical part, the most significant part is God's part Amen. that you can't do anything and have anything to do with. It's totally unconditional. You don't deserve it. You can't earn it. But then there's man's part. And so when Jesus presents this plan of salvation that is to be proclaimed throughout the world, once people learn of God's part, then 
that he has provided in Jesus Christ, then they must appropriate it as their part in receiving that salvation. Neither is thou salvation in any other. There's none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Acts 4 and verse 12. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord, Romans 6 and verse 23. So let's look at each of those two conditions of man's part for just a moment in God's plan of salvation. The plan of salvation that was given by the authority of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ himself. He that believeth, does that describe you this morning? A believer? A person who has faith in Christ? In John 8 and verse 24, Jesus put it simply, he, except you believe that I am He, you will die in your sins. How could He have made it any clearer than that? And friend, if you're not saved this morning, I'm, I'm, I'm talking, I'm trying to knock on your heart right now. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? Do you trust Him to be Savior and Lord? That's so critical. That's so important. Now, when you understand that the gospel must be believed and it must be obeyed, you also need to understand that that doesn't come about through some direct operation of the Holy Spirit. It's not going to happen that way. It will come about through an indirect operation of the Holy Spirit. That is, the Holy Spirit uses His Word to penetrate your heart and your mind and give you an understanding of what God has done for you in providing salvation through Jesus Christ and His precious cross. But then you've got to appropriate that. In John chapter 6 and verse 44, Jesus put it this way, No man, listen to me, don't go to sleep here, No man comes to me except the Father which sent me, draw him, and I will raise him up in the last day. Now how does God draw us to Jesus. He answers in the next verse, quoting Isaiah. As it is written in the prophets, they must all be taught of God. Everyone, now listen, everyone therefore that have heard and have learned cometh unto the Father. You see why it's so important to proclaim the gospel to the whole creation? Because men and women lost in sin have got to come to believe in Jesus. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. He that cometh to God must believe that He is and that He's the rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6. In the book of Romans in chapter 10, Paul says, The word is nigh unto you, even in your heart, and in your mouth, the word of faith which we have preached. That if thou shalt believe in that heart that God hath been raised from the dead and confess with thy mouth 
the Lord Jesus, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. And so, friend, if you want to be saved this morning, you've got to come to faith in Jesus. Jesus knew exactly what he was talking about when he said, He that believeth shall be saved. But that's not all he said. He said, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. What did Jesus mandate in his plan of salvation when he said, He that is baptized shall be saved? He's mandating his plan to be obeyed by adult believers who are immersed in water in order to be saved. And that's exactly what the apostles preached a few days later in Jerusalem. When you turn to the book of Acts in chapter 2 and verse 38, men are saying, after having heard Peter's sermon on Pentecost, Brethren, apostles, what must we do? Well, obviously, what they wanted to know what to do to be saved. What did Peter tell them? What did he say to believers who are now convicted that Jesus was the Christ and that they participated in the crucifixion of Christ? They're cut to their hearts, brethren. They're pricked in their hearts. They want to know. They've just heard the word and they've been pricked in their hearts. What shall we do? What did Peter say? Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, by the authority of Christ, for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promises to you, to your children, to those who are far off, as many as the Lord your God shall call. And with many other words that he testified and exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this underward generation. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. And there were added unto them that day about 3,000 souls. Ananias told Saul in Acts twenty two sixteen, 16, Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Never in the New Testament is baptism viewed as a figure or a symbol of having been already saved by belief alone. Neither is baptism defined or depicted or described or, 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 or demanded as a sprinkling or a pouring of water on infants or adults. Baptism is never described or mandated as a work of man that merits and earns our salvation. Baptism is an obedient demonstration of faith that puts an unsaved believer repentant of his sins into a saved relationship with Christ so they can become the children of God. Now let me give you a simple scripture for that. Galatians 3, 26 and 27. We are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. And so my question to you this morning, if you're here and you're not a Christian, 
Have you believed the gospel? I suspect everybody here, this, I, I, I doubt if we have anybody here this morning that doesn't believe in Jesus Christ. I suspect there's very few people that are watching online this morning that doesn't believe that Jesus is the Son of God. But what about having obeyed Him in baptism? That's a part of God's plan for salvation as well. For man to obey. There are a lot of different plans of men. Here's one plan of man. He who is baptized as an infant and then believes can be saved. I say this as kindly as I can, but that's the plan of Catholicism. But God's plan is a person must believe. Babies can't believe and be baptized in order to be saved. And then there's man's plan that says he that believes is saved and then he ought to be baptized. That's a denominational plan. But God's plan is he that believeth and is baptized shall be say and then there's man's plan that says he that believes not and is baptized not shall be saved that's universalism I'm going to take God's plan over man's plan how about you Amen. and then there's the mandated problem finally y'all like it when the preacher says finally don't you Bill I know you Yeah. he just woke up no, not really. There's a problem here. A mandated problem. He that believeth not shall be condemned. Now that isn't the first time Jesus has said that. Does God want people to be condemned? No. It's the will of God that all men be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. God doesn't want anyone to perish, but that all come to repentance. Why do you think He sent His Son into this world to begin with? He loves you. This church loves you. God loves you and wants you to be saved. He does not want you to be condemned. We all know that scripture from John 3 and verse 16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Do you know the rest of it? For the Son of Man did not come into this world to condemn the world, but to save it. They that believe not are condemned already because they did not believe in the Son of God. This is condemnation. That light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds we're evil. You know how John closes out that third chapter? Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son does not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Why is the Great Commission so great? Because God wants every sinner in this world to be saved. 
He wants no one to be condemned. And that includes you. We're going to sing an invitation song and we're going to encourage you to step out in the aisle this morning and become a Christian. Maybe you have other spiritual needs in your life and whatever they are, I pray that you'll make that decision for Christ this morning. You say, John, why? why what's the urgency? Why is it so... Why do I need to do it? Because the Bible says today is the day of salvation. Brethren, you do not have the promise of another day. You think Sister Leora White thought that she would we'd be conducting her funeral tomorrow? Three weeks ago? No. You don't have the... Boast not thyself of tomorrow. You know not what tomorrow may bring. Go to now ye that say, Today or tomorrow we're going to go into such a city. We're going to live there and, and, and buy and sell and get gain. For whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow. What is your life? It is a vapor that appeareth for a little time. And then it vanishes away. But more critical than that, Jesus is coming back. And according to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, he's coming in flaming fire with all of his mighty angels, taking vengeance on all them that know not God and who obey not the gospel, and they shall be destroyed with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. That's bad news. But church, our task is to preach the good news. And I've given you that good news this morning. And I thank you, church, for being a missionary church, taking the Great Commission so seriously. As we stand and sing the invitation, God invites you to become a child of God. And we encourage you to make that decision right now. We'll sing it twice. Make me new, Lord Jesus.